Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. My guest today is a fintech thought leader and is the head of a corporation that is described as the world's leading ecosystem orchestrator for providers and consumers of financial services everywhere. This is the series on Headstalk where we discuss with executive C-suite leaders in the banking and financial industry about the advent and impact of fintech on this sector. But before we get into that, here is a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering, and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Let's talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Simon Paris is the CEO of Finastra. He joined the organization as president in 2015, was appointed deputy chief executive officer in 2017, and became the chief executive officer in June 2018. He brings more than 25 years of sales management and global leadership expertise to the company, having previously held the role of president industry cloud at SAP. A firm believer in the principles of doing well by doing good, Simon chairs the World Trade Board and is passionate about how technology and open trade can drive financial inclusion and improve people's lives. He also serves on the board of directors for Everbridge, a critical event management software company, and on the board of directors for Thomson Reuters. An inspiring and trusted fintech thought leader, Simon is a regular on the speaking circuit and is often seen in large-scale events to include the annual World Trade Symposium, Paris FinTech Forum, and the Milken Asia Summit. He's a strong advocate for diversity and inclusion with refreshing and candid views on equality in the workplace. Finally, Simon has won a plethora of awards and has been recognized as a top 50 financial technology CEO by the Financial Technology Report, two years running, Let's now have a conversation on this series. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Simon to Heads Talk. Many thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Elaine. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Um, I want to talk in some detail about the Finastra paper, Financial Services State of the Nation Survey 2021, in greater detail later in this episode. But let's start with, with an up and coming event, the Global FinTech Hackathon. Can you tell my listeners all about this? What is it? Um, when will it be? Um, who will be involved? And what is the expected outcome? Yeah, absolutely. So a hackathon is a technique by which you can invite innovators to come together and in a record amount of time, 48 hours or 72 hours max, to create a number of innovations that mm-hmm. they believe will help the world be better, doing well by doing good, or finance for good, as we uh, call it. Mm-hmm. Now, a hackathon is a wonderful way of recognizing two things. First of all, that not all the innovation in software and financial services will come from us, by no means. Mm-hmm. And secondly, that we're better together. 
In fact, collaboration is the new innovation. So we open up our doors, we open up our systems and software, and we invite the world's innovators, wherever they are, to come and hack. It's called hacking, coding, uh, <laughs> over a period of time together with us. Now, in 2021, we had almost 5,000 participants from around 100 countries. So it really mm. is a scale event, high energy event. Yeah. What are we trying to do in 2022? We're well, really kind of three themes all about this notion of finance for good. So the first is around sustainable and inclusive finance. Mm -hmm. The second theme is around embedded finance. And mm -hmm. the third is around decentralized finance, crypto, NFTs, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now we don't do this on our own. We do it with partners and our partners this year would include folks like Microsoft and Google, as well as banks like Societe Generale and uh, Scotiabank and ADB yeah. in Asia, as well as other partners like uh, Capgemini and so on. So how does it work? Well, we have our experts on hand to provide pre-support, pre-hackathon support, design thinking, UX, live meetups, et cetera. And then it's competitive and it ends with a series of uh, prizes. Uh, we're gonna keep a, a minimum of places for women-led startups and uh, it'll be launching soon, actually on International Women's Day, March the 8th. Oh yes, and it's, it's gonna be running from the 8th of March to the 10th of April. Um, how can my listeners get involved? Uh, where, should they, where, where can they go to get involved in all of this? Yeah, a great way to get more information will be on the dev post as it launches. Uh, you can also search for Hack to the Future 4, or you can check out our company LinkedIn feed or our website. But uh, mm -hmm. we'd love to see our record of 5,000 participants be broken and can't wait to see all the, uh, the hacks and innovations that come forward. That's good. So, so what were some of the outcomes of, um, or even just one of the outcomes of 2021? Yeah, so some of the outcomes of 2021 have gone into production. So there's been some really good ideas around, for example, taking the bias out of lending. So data will show you that women pay more for loans than men. People of color will pay more for loans than people of, uh, who are white. And this is bias, algorithmic bias. So we have done a number of hacks and brought those into our products, as well as into our contracts, to make sure that algorithmic bias is removed from software coding. Mm -hmm. Fascinating, fascinating. Okay, um, within Finastra, I've noticed there's a strong emphasis on partnership, partnering and collaboration. I see this very clearly on your website. Why is that? And, and what partnerships are you looking for within your organization and with whom? Yeah, so Lillian, you used a very interesting word at the beginning, which was that notion of an ecosystem. And an ecosystem always reminds me of a coral reef. And all of the species that resides on a coral reef, they, they require each other. It's symbiotic. Yes. Uh, and it also reminds me of a wonderful African proverb. And the African proverb says, if you want to travel fast, mm -hmm. travel alone. If you want to travel far, travel together. Mm. And, that, and that's how we think about partnerships. On the one hand, as an ecosystem, it is symbiotic. We require each other's existence to progress, to succeed. Mm -hmm. And secondly, we have ambitions which are well beyond our organic capabilities of executing. So we want to go far and therefore together. So how do we do that? There are different types of partners. So some partners help manage the implementation of our software or they manage the managed services related to our software mm -hmm. or they OEM and embed our software in their own offerings or they resell our software. So those mm -hmm. are kind of traditional partner models, but there are other models as well. And that includes how we work with universities or how we include work with fintechs or how we open up a marketplace of curated experience Mm. where partners, some of whom even compete with us, can sell their propositions through our own marketplace. So the notion really is around partnership is that the future of finance is open. And mm. as we said earlier, collaboration is the new innovation. So we bring mm. those two things together as we think about partnership. 
Hmm. So you talked sort of generally in terms of your partnerships. Would you like to tell us about maybe one or even two of your successful partnerships and, and the outcomes? Yeah, so let, let's talk about um, two, as you, as you offered that opportunity. I'll talk about the two ends of the spectrum, very large scale, very small scale. So the very large scale, you can imagine a brand like an Accenture, for example, they've been a strategic partner of ours since 2014. They have a, a practice now that they build up around international, which is greater than $100 million of revenue to them mm. per year. So it's significant. Mm. And they have us in multiple areas across lending and payments, working with banks like Silicon Valley Bank, for example, in the United States. And they do more and more uh, to take our software as a service, as part of their propositions to their clients as well. Mm. So that would be one end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. The other end of the spectrum, you think a, a very small fintech like a Vector Risk or NetGuardians or Bact in crypto. Mm -hmm. uh, and those are you know, sub 100 people, sub 50 people, sub 20 people, but they have a very niche capability, but they don't have the ability to distribute. So what we do with people like Vector Risk, NetGuardians or Bact is open up our eight and a half thousand customers via a marketplace to their proposition. And we connect you know, niche providers of really quality capable software to mm -hmm. a global customer base okay that's interesting and i was just wondering um if there is more emphasis on this as a result of the pandemic or this has always been your modus operandi no that's a great question so it's been our modus operandi however to your point the pandemic has accelerated everything that's digital mm. so the language that we use internally is uh, covid has brought the future forward Everything that is digital is accelerated. Everything that is physical is now massively reconfigured. Mm, okay, okay. Now the Finastra Financial Services State of the Nation Survey 2021, which I, I read with interest. Uh, and by the way, if you're happy with this, um, I'd like to put a link um, in your episode description um, to, so people can actually look at that document as we talk about it. Um, the survey paper, the paper focused on three areas. One is, you know, APIs, banking as a service and embedded banking services. Two, the sort of the wider tech integration and three, collaboration. And you've talked about that um, earlier. What are we talking about when we discuss the impact banking as a service will have on financial institutions and why will this effect be greater in the APAC region than in Europe as mentioned in the survey? Yeah great question so, so let's maybe give an example of what we're talking about to kind of bring it to life and then we'll go to the question yeah. of why Asia Pacific. So you're right the three, the three things you mentioned the APIs, the embedded finance and the tech offerings but let's bring it to life with an example and uh, I remember I was moderating a panel in New York, and there were two regulators, two banks and two fintechs, and we're talking about open banking. Mm -hmm. And the regulator said, you know what, in the UK, we call this PSD2, and it allows you to open up your account uh, for account information or payment information. And the fintech was kind of shaking their heads. And they said, well, you're shaking your heads the negative. Why is that? And they said, well, because you just don't understand. Let me give you an example. They said, if I'm buying a house here in London, then the journey I'm on, the customer journey, is not a mortgage. The customer journey I'm on is home buying. Now, what I need my financial institution to do is to show me the zip codes or the postcodes in London and show me every transaction that's recently happened there, help construct a mortgage that fits me because my income is volatile, move me into that house, and when I'm in that house, then help me optimize my utility bills. But here's the point. Not one of those products or services necessarily came from my bank. They assembled it to my persona. They deployed the best products and services for my customer journey of home buying, whether or not it came from them. 
Now that is a radical departure from where we go today. You go to your financial institution yeah. today, it's their product, their service, not what's best for you. So it is a complete change of mindset, which is bringing to you, banking going to you, as opposed to you going to the bank. Banking meets you on your journey, provides you the products and service that you need for that journey, whether or not it comes from them. So that's the example. Now, in terms of um, why Asia Pacific is, is the typical leapfrog answer, Asia Pacific, if you look at the number of payments that do not go through credit cards, for example, mm. over here, we might use Visa, MasterCard, and American Express, but over there, it's, you know, it's a different proposition. It's embedded finance, banking as a service at the point of the transaction when you need it. Now, mm. the language that they use over there and increasingly over here is contextual versus conscious. So the mm -hmm. difference between the two is conscious, you know, the name of the institution that you're leveraging contextually you don't necessarily know it's just pay now pay buy now pay later it's part of the process uh, so asia pacific is like many things now we used to say you know the future of technology began in silicon valley but increasingly mm -hmm. it's been uh, in greater china it's maturing in china so to speak <laughs> it began right. in silicon valley but it's maturing in china um yeah, let, let's look at the second focused area um wider tech integration I read in the paper, the driver for this has changed from, you know, 2020 competitive edge to 2021 customer experience. Do you think um, this is as a result of the pandemic again, but the greater emphasis on customer experience, customer centricity and satisfaction, more so than say profit, for instance, are we changing our mindsets? I think we're evolving our mindset to models which have already been proven in other industries. You know, a, a great example on the language of tech integration is if you if you have a, a car, a mm -hmm. vehicle, take, take that car, whatever brand it is, and then explode it in your mind's eye mm -hmm. into all of its component parts. And then ask yourself a simple question. Let's say we take a Ford Fiesta, we broke it up into all its component parts. And you ask yourself a question, what did Ford actually make? Right? Mm -hmm. They didn't make the wheels, they didn't make the tires, they didn't make the glass, they didn't make the GPS, they didn't make the upholstery, they didn't make the ignition, they didn't make the brakes. What did they actually make? You know, they made the engine and they made the chassis, they made the application and they made the platform. And then their APIs, to use that language incorrectly, but their APIs then allow everything to be brought together and assembled. You want a Fiesta estate, you want a Fiesta convertible, you want a Fiesta van, it gets mm -hmm. assembled to your persona. And what banking is starting to realize is the same model. You know, you don't know what brakes you have or what injection you have or what GPS, you don't need to. It's been assembled to your persona for the journey that you require. And banking is starting to get there. And that's why this notion of wider tech integration is so important. It does require an open mindset, open standards, open source, open APIs, open architecture, you name it. Uh, and it's, it's arriving. And that, that allows you to focus on financial service as opposed to financial products. That's where we're moving. And how has Finastra um, adapted to this drive since the pandemic? The sort of the customer centricity side of things. Yeah, so our adaptation to what we believe is this irreversible trend of uh, the future of finance is open. And our ambition is to not just enable that, but to become an orchestrator of it, to assemble that Ford Fiesta for you, so to speak. So our evolution of that is, first of all, to realize and to declare that not all innovation in the world of financial services will come from us. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we're going to think differently about it and open up everything that we do to the entire world of innovators. And what we do, and we do it very well, is very complex, mission critical, back office, workflows, business processes, and data sets. Mm -hmm. And those things are very hard to do. You know, we have $12 trillion of syndicated mm -hmm. loans on our platform. We handle 
you know, 10% of world's trade finance by volume and six by value. We handle seven, eight percent of the world's foreign exchange. And people want to connect to that, those flows and those data sets, those workflows and those business processes. We open up and say, mm-hmm. hey, you want to be the expert in facial recognition or voice recognition or cognitive ingestion or AI and ML or identity management. We'll consume you and connect you. And that's the point. Collaboration is the new innovation. Mm-hmm. And just as a side question, and you know, if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. I will, I, I obviously will move from the episode. But how much is Finestra a driver or are driven by circumstances? Well, you know, you um, there was a famous phrase, right, which is everyone has a plan until you get punched on the nose. <laughs> I, I think it was Mike Tyson who said it. Um, so we we um, we we live in our context, and circumstances will dictate behavior. So. Yeah. We take the example of COVID and then we can take the example of war. So COVID, when COVID moved from uh, east to west, I remember in March 2020, we had 800 projects uh, on premise. And by the end of that month, we had none, zero. We mm. moved entirely to remote delivery. Mm. So that was a circumstantial change driven by COVID and the requirement to work 100% remote. Now we're in a situation where we have war and potential spillage of that. Yes. And of course, that creates uh, more context, more circumstance by which you need to react to. How can you support customers? How can you support your employees? What can you legitimately or legally do or not? So we, we try and be masters of our destiny. We try and have a three-year strategy, which in our case, we call reach beyond. And we stick to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't declare annual plans. We, we declare three-year plans. Mm-hmm. But of course, once you get punched on the nose, you, you react, but you don't change your role. A goal is a goal is a goal. So, but you know, since you mentioned it, let's just talk talk briefly about it. How has the the war, the um, how has that affected Finastra in any way? Yeah, so I would say the biggest effect is human, in mm. the sense that uh, it's created a high level of anxiety to the point that I would describe it as mental health. Our our exposure to Russia and Ukraine is negligible. It, I think uh, it's less than zero point zero zero two percent of our revenue. Mm. So we're not impacted at a business level, but we're impacted at a humane level. So mm. we see a lot of colleagues in periphery mm. countries, particularly Poland and Romania. But, you know, having just landed back from New York this morning, the topic is everywhere. How can we help proactively the humanitarian crisis that's unfolding in front of our eyes? And we think not just about donations, but opening up our homes and our hearts to the people who are fleeing from the country, as well as what can we do to, to support uh, the pressure that, you know, every I would say every company, Western and Eastern, is applying to try and bring order to the chaos that's begun. Mm, okay. Uh, I want to talk about um, fintech around the globe. I mean, you're in New York. We just talked about what's happening in, in Ukraine and Russia. Let's go full circle and move back to sort of the South American region. Um, there is an increasing uh, sort of fast growing ecosystem. We'll talk about ecosystems again. Um, on the continent with, with over 350 million mobile internet users in Latin America. The number is expected to increase to 424 million by 2025. Brazil is the leading country with over 370 fintech startups, a really big market and big opportunities there. Is there a Finastra presence in the South American market? If yes, can you tell us all about this? No, why sure. not? And are there any yeah. plans? Sorry. Sure. No, no, <laughs> you're so eager got... to answer, so I'm going to let you answer now. <laughs> no problem. So we, we have uh, three answers to questions. We have a physical location in Mexico, oh, and we can... have customers in Brazil, Chile, Peru, Colombia, and Mexico, of course. 
Mm-hmm. In, in terms of our bet for the region, we, we like making big bets as opposed to many bets. Yep. So our big bet is, uh, I've partnered, you mentioned earlier the World Trade Board. Uh, one of the trade board members mm-hmm. is John Denton, who is the Secretary General of yep. the International Chamber of Commerce. So John and I have partnered with an initiative called ICC, ICC for International Chamber of Commerce, Tradecom. So we provide the technology and ICC mm-hmm. provide the uh, the 40 million or more corporates that they have around the world. Mm-hmm. And the idea which has launched in Latin America, and that's why it's relevant. In fact, John was just there on mm-hmm. Valentine's Day in Ecuador making the launch, is a platform to address the financing needs of SMEs and micro SMEs where alternative financing can now reach them. So what they have, if you're running a mom and pop shop or a micro SME, yep. you have an invoice. That invoice in the case of Ecuador is validated by the Equatorian government. And because it's validated by the Equatorian government, that makes it securitizable, meaning people can lend against it. They can provide trade finance. Now, the challenge for banks far and wide, small and big, is they can't reach those small micro SMEs. Uh, they'd love to lend them, but they can't reach them. Uh, yeah. But now they can, because we've launched ICC Tradecom with the International Chamber of Commerce. It's an alternative financing marketplace. Mm-hmm. And we believe that the trade financing gap around the world is somewhere in the region of $1.7 trillion. And John and I believe by starting in Ecuador and going to six countries this year and more uh, as we expand, we can potentially help provide hundreds of billions of alternative financing mm. to these micro SMEs that currently don't have it. And that will create huge lift, as you can imagine. Um, let's continue talking about the future and your plans. Um, what should we expect from Finastra in the coming years? What interesting plans do you have afoot? Yep. So our Other current, than what you just mentioned. Yes, exactly. So our, our strategy, we call it reach beyond, to so reach beyond what we achieved in our first three years uh, that I was CEO. This is around the next three years. So it's reaching beyond. Mm-hmm. And it really boils down to one big bet and three strategic initiatives. The big bet is around leading in banking as a service. And we believe this is a $1 trillion revenue opportunity for financial institutions. We believe it helps them increase their reach, their relevance, and their revenue. And we believe that if we help them do that, then we grow as they grow. If you, you, know, you grow by helping your customers grow. Mm-hmm. So banking as a service, contextual, conscious, embedded finance, call it as you will, that's our number one and only big bet. It obviously builds on the platform bet that we made uh, four and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of the strategic initiatives, there are just three. Uh, the first is to accelerate everything that we're doing uh, around cloud, because the more software that is cloud enabled, the mm-hmm. faster the cycle of innovation is. Mm-hmm. The second is around accelerating migrations from customers who are on older or legacy products to those cloud products. So you get more mm-hmm. customers on a single code base. Mm-hmm. And then the third is accelerating growth in the regions you described. So Middle East, yeah. Asia Pacific, Africa, and uh, Latin America, because ultimately, Banking is correlated with GDP and population. And mm-hmm. those are the regions that are growing the GDP and their population the most. Mm-hmm. So that's how we, we think about it. At the very beginning, you said, well, what does success look like? Well, four and a half years ago, we declared that the future of finance is open. Now we're declaring that at the end of this three-year sprint, we would like to move from declaring that the future of finance is open to declaring that we have become the orchestrator of open finance. Mm. Okay, okay, that, that's pretty clear. Um, I want to end this episode of, of Head's Talk with this question. Um, it's asked to all of the guests in the series. It's a two-part question, and I'll begin with this. What is the app that you cannot do without in the fintech world, and why? 
the app I can't, I mean, in the fintech world specifically, I would say it's uh, online banking and access to equity markets in real time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those are, those are the two. I find online banking incredibly convenient. Yes. Um, I, I don't feel the need to go to a branch or talk to a human unless I'm confronting a complex transaction. Okay. Then in terms of real-time data to equity markets, it, it's something that interests yeah. me in terms of the performance of companies, and I like monitoring our performance uh, as a company versus publicly listed companies. So seeing their real-time performance and their earnings uh, is something that interests me as a, as a sitting CEO. Okay, that's precise, that's precise. And uh, as I mentioned, it's, there's a two-part to this question, and I, I, I do like this question. I'm interested to hear your response to that one. What is the solution that you think is yet to be developed, but sits firmly within the fintech world once available? Yeah, so I think this is fintech and all tech. Um, I still find that the level of contextual awareness of applications is shockingly low. So for Mm -hmm. example, I won't name the bank that I use, but I've been with them for 40 plus years and I still get, you know, post, which is remarkable. And the the post says, you may have been pre-qualified for an overdraft. And, and I say to myself, you know, you have 40 years of data about yes. me. You know that I'm managing three children going through college. You know that I'm managing the end of life of my, my yes. father, that I've got my mother in, uh, you know, a nursing home situation. Can you not think of something more useful to say than you have been pre-approved for an overdraft? There's so much richness in the data that people hold and the contextual things that I'm doing when I'm traveling or when I'm paying my, my mother's bills or putting my kids through college and none of it is being leveraged. So the contextual awareness, the circum, you use the word circumstance, circumstantial awareness uh, of life events in the FinTech world would be incredibly meaningful if they could bring that forward. But uh, that is not yet developed to anywhere near its potential. Oh God, that's, that's the classic case of having the data, not quite knowing how to use it for, for profitable gains, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Simon Paris, it's been a delightful conversation. Many thanks for your time and insights. My pleasure. Thank you for hosting, Elaine. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.